0: Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. So on this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yilman. And today we are going to be giving advice for prospective pastors. So we want to offer advice to men considering entering the pastorate, but this isn't this show just for potential pastors. It's also going to provide some useful practical advice and information for churches and their leaders who are then seeking to guide and equip young people for ministry. So kind of a both and approach. So Aaron, can you explain to our listeners why this topic and why now?
1: Well, the Canadian church and the American church is desperately in need of qualified, quality pastors and leaders. We do believe in lay eldership. An elder is an elder is an elder. The qualifications for eldership are exactly the same biblically as the qualifications for a vocational elder, i.e. a pastor. But there are unique dynamics that are part of vocational ministry. When you eat, sleep and breathe ministry, when you're doing it full-time, when you have particular responsibilities year after year, decade after decade to execute, it is a different dynamic than being a lay elder. So this episode is directed more to those that are going into what we would call vocational ministry, part-time or full-time vocational ministry. And we've seen a lot of failures among pastors in recent years standing failing to stand up for the lordship of Christ we've seen heresy and false teaching leak into churches we've seen people get tripped up in immorality and we want to we want to do our little part to help bring some correctives to that so i have a passion to see young men equipped for ministry and that we want to be able to guide them. I'm so thankful for the men that spoke into my life and mentored me and equipped me. Chris, I remember during my first internship, Dr. Richard Clay, my mentor said to me, Aaron, even if as a result of this pastoral internship, you do not go into vocational ministry, I will still consider it a success.
0: Hmm.
1: And it kind of threw me off, but I started thinking about that and I'm like, he's right that if I'm not gifted and equipped for this, I should serve somewhere else, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. So this episode might actually encourage some young men in particular to pursue pastoral leadership, and it might also signal to some that are thinking about it that this is not for them, that there's other areas, honorable areas, that God wants them to serve. There's also this principle in scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 12, it talks about not being hasty in the laying on of hands. So when elders were appointed in the early church, you'd lay hands on them, not lay hands on them and rough them up, but you'd lay hands on them. And that was a sign of affirmation that they were gifted for the ministry and you'd pray over them and appoint them to office. Well, it says, don't be quick about that. Unfortunately, some people are a little too quick about this. Like I got my Bible college degree, give me a job. You know, I'm 21 and a half years old. I'm ready to pastor a church because I know how to preach the Bible very naive and reductionistic to think that way it's better for people to be patient to prove themselves over time to go into ministry with both eyes wide open with an awareness of the pluses and minuses the unique dynamics to ministry when i was in bible college i went to bible college with many men some of whom have gone into pastoral ministry and have been quite uh, useful and helpful and uh, in a spiritual way successful Others have fallen away from the faith, and hmm. still others just determined that that wasn't their gifts and are serving in other very wonderful areas of the life of the church. So, I wanna I wanna sort of help guys to think through some of the practical implications and and ask certain questions when they're they're wrestling with should I go into pastoral ministry or not. Now, we we are complementarian, so we believe that uh, only qualified men can serve in eldership in pastoral office, but I will say this, there's lots of room for women to also serve in vocational ministry, in children's ministry, in women's ministry, in administrative ministries, in counseling ministry. So while this podcast isn't so directed so much towards women, it's directed more towards pastors, some of the principles will actually apply to all offices and all areas of vocational ministry within the Christian church.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things when it comes to any vocation, I imagine, is there's the the public uh idea of it. So, you know, before I was a pastor, a vocational pastor, there was the idea from the outside of what a pastor does, which was largely limited to Sunday morning preaching. And right. so I think some of the things you're gonna get at with some of these advice is gonna help people expand their view beyond just I need a Bible college degree. We've talked about that in previous podcasts. Yeah.
1: Yeah, actually, I I was telling our uh, new members class last night that when I started to believe that the Lord was calling me into ministry, it was it was partly I aspired to it, which is the first qualification in First Timothy chapter three. I have to aspire to the office. It was input I was receiving from godly peers and godly family members, and it was just many years of training and serving and determining what areas of ministry I was gifted for and wasn't gifted for, I knew in some way I wanted to serve the Lord in vocational ministry, but I didn't really know where. And you might be surprised where you end up because you know this, yeah. when I started to train for ministry, I sort of said to the Lord, in terms of all the different ministries you could do, I'll do anything, but I never want to be a lead pastor. <laughs> That's the one area I, I, I don't want to do. I just had a I had a different perspective of what that was all about. And while I've served in many other different areas of ministry, chaplaincy and as a youth pastor and associate pastor, I happen to think this is the area that I'm most gifted for. But I wouldn't have known that when I was 18, 19 and 20. Mm. I wanted to be a missionary to the Muslim world or a youth pastor or maybe a college professor and you know I've I've done a little bit of each of that and I've I've enjoyed it but I would never have thought that this is the area where God designed me to flourish best. So be open. You may have a heart for pastoral ministry. You may be like, I want to be a preaching pastor. Well, maybe the Lord has a different kind of ministry in store for you. And as you grow and mature, there's no no better or worse. It's what does God have for you? So I want to start by asking the question, encouraging people to ask the question about their intentions. Mm-hmm. This is a starting point, right? We, we need to constantly be asking ourselves, why do I think, feel, and act the way I do? So you, you might be well-intentioned. There's many people that are well-intentioned. They They love Christ. They love the word. They love to study the word. They love to preach the word. They love people. And that's great. Every Christian should be like that. Mm-hmm. But just because you're well intentioned doesn't necessarily mean that pastoral ministry is for you. So how do you determine that? Well, you need to assess and allow other people to assess your giftedness. And this doesn't take place over a three-month period. This is usually a multi-year process. So if we go to the New Testament and we read First Timothy chapter three, we have the not the suggestions, but the qualifications for oversight. So it says, if anyone aspires to be to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. So that's not negotiable. The husband of one wife, he's not a runaround. He's sober-minded. He has, he has clear-mindedness. He has an intellectual capacity commensurate to the task he's been assigned. He's self-controlled. He's self-controlled with his words. He's self-controlled with his emotions. He's self-controlled with his money. He's self-controlled with his sexuality. He's respectable, meaning he's looked up to. People look to that person for guidance and direction. There's many people that go into ministry. They're like, I want to be a leader, and they turn around, no one's following them. Mm-hmm. Well, if, you, if people don't follow you, if you're not recognized as a, a leader, if people don't res- look to you as a respectful person, you may need to wait a few years, or that just may not be how God has designed you. It's 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 fine not to be a leader. In fact, being a leader can be a huge headache. Mm. But the respectable part is is important. Hospitable hospitality is not sitting around having tea and crumpets with the senior citizens in your church necessarily. Hospitality is fundamentally directed to the stranger. So if you're not good with newcomers, you don't want to, You don't like greeting new people. You're you're an, you're an introvert. You like just hanging around your office with your books and your nose and commentaries. There's a place for you to serve, but it's probably not in pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. Able to teach doesn't mean you have to teach geography, mathematics, and physics, but you have to be able to competently, competently teach the word of God. A deacon must know the word of God. An elder must know the word of God, but a pastor elder must also have the capacity to teach it, not to be a drunkard. So self-control over substances, not violent, but gentle not quarrelsome. You see guys on Facebook, they post a post and someone argue, and they're back and forth arguing, 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 arguing. That's quarrelsome. We, we, we debate, we challenge, we confront, but we don't quarrel with people. It goes on to say, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. We have pastors, pastoring churches, whose kids are Transgender. And they're still pastoring churches whose kids are flagrant unbelievers that are completely out of control, but this is my job, so I still show up to preach on Sunday. No, if your children are not submissive to your leadership, you, sorry to say, you've disqualified yourself, not as a Christian, but from leading God's people permanently or for a period of time. These are not negotiable. It says, if you don't know how to handle your own household, how can you care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. So we don't, we want people with some experience, some life experience. How long? Well, a few years at least. You know, Paul would go into a town maybe for three years and minister, and then they'd, they'd appoint elders. So we're not talking about people that have necessarily been saved for 20 years. But you got a few seasons under your belt. If not, he might be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And then it also says he must be thought well of by outsiders. That doesn't mean that people aren't going to hate you. But you have a general uh, good reputation in your community. So these aren't suggestions. These are qualifications. And this is really important, folks. These are not just self-determined qualifications. Mm -hmm. If you think about these various qualifications... To a large degree, they are affirmed or disaffirmed by the community of faith that is around you. So if you're like, I I had a dream last night and the Lord called me to ministry, or I just really want to be a pastor because that's just my passion. Well, who's affirmed that? Mm-hmm. If when you bring that up to people, they're like, oh, I don't know, bro. Or we have, some, we have some concerns about that. Or you need to grow in your understanding of scripture. Or you need to be a better manager of your money. Or you don't really have a proven track record in marriage. Or you're kind of quarrelsome or you're you know you're not a clear thinker or you're not self-controlled do not go into ministry without ample input from the community of faith you might be well-intentioned but you really need to wrestle this question to the ground am i gifted for pastoral ministry and to a large degree that is determined through the input of god's people as they affirm in you the areas that you're strong in, and the areas that you are weak in.
0: That's really good. I know in my own journey that was something that uh, played a big, a big factor. When other people were saying and affirming something in me that not at one time I didn't even see, um, that was very, very important. It also probably speaks to this next next piece of advice. Turn in terms of people are only going to see that in you if you're in the trenches for a while. Yes. Here's here's the challenge for a lot of young men. So.
1: Let's say you you feel a call to ministry when you're very young. You go to Bible college or seminary and you train, and your buddies are off studying engineering or nursing or whatever it might be, and they graduate and they get a job because here's how it works. If you go to engineering school, you're an engineer. If you go to nursing school, you're a nurse. But going to Bible college or seminary doesn't make you a pastor. So a lot of guys kind of come out of their schooling, and they're looking at all their peers who are entering the career, their career of choice, and they're starting to make money, and they're like, well... I have a degree, why can't I be a pastor? Well, that's not how it works. The degree doesn't qualify you for ministry. Degrees can help, but the qualifications are critical. And that takes more than generally for most guys a three or four year degree to actually serve in ministry. So what we've done in our church, even with young men, who are maybe coming out of a, a Bible training program, we often intern them and we generally intern for them for longer than they like. <laughs> uh, that was true for me. <laughs> and when they get to a point where they finally are okay with being an intern, then we might make them a staff director. Mm-hmm. And then they might be a staff director for longer than they, they would otherwise like. But when they get to a point where you sense they're, they're content with that, then we talk to them about ordination to vocational ministry. Now in the old days, I think guys were pushed forward far too fast. You got a degree, you're the youth pastor. Okay, really you're a pastor, you're 22, you have no track record, you're, you're maybe you're not married, you're, you have no track record with money, you, know, you, you don't even have a reputation, but you're a pastor. We have to be careful not to just throw this around as if it's it's um, you know some sort of a job to be had that you just qualify for because you have a degree. Now I also wanna talk about leadership. I mentioned this before, but this is really, really important. A lot of guys are like, I want to be a preacher. Okay. What do you mean by that? Oh, I want to be a pastor. Oh, so in your mind, preacher and pastor are the exact same thing? Well, aren't they? No. There are people that are gifted to teach and preach in a Christian church that aren't necessarily qualified as elders. And there is more to pastoral ministry than preaching and teaching. we got to stop using the word preacher and pastor as if it's a synonym. Now, one of the most public fundamental tasks of pastors and elders is to preach and teach, but it's also to administrate. It's also to counsel. It's also to oversee. It's also to identify and equip God's people for the work of the ministry. So it's not just preaching. A portion of our week is dedicated to preparation for sermons and lessons and and preaching, but there's more to it than that. And one of the key fundamental characteristics of an elder is leadership. Think about the word. It says, if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, what does it mean to oversee, to watch out over, To, to lead? to take responsibility for. That's an overseer. So, before you go into pastoral ministry, one could assume or should assume that you have a proven track record of leadership. So if you're really young, were you looked to as a leader in your youth group? Were you looked to as a leader in your Bible college or seminary training? If you are part of a college ministry, did people look to you for leadership? It doesn't mean you always had to be the top dog but generally speaking were you considered a leader some men go into ministry and they've never led anybody and they just want to lead churches and they realize two or three years in they're not leaders then they just spend the rest of their ministries as, as bookworms mm-hmm. you know hunkered down in their commentaries and preparing sermons but they don't actually lead their churches and the churches suffer as a result so preachers have to oversee the church they have to lead the church so you starting off in lowly roles here's here's how um I did it so when I felt the Lord was calling me to potentially calling me to minister, I'm like, well, I don't really know. So I'm gonna I'm gonna serve in the nursery. So I went to the Sunday school superintendent. I'm like, I, I want to serve with kids ministry. So they threw me in a classroom with three year olds. And true story, uh, I'm teaching away, and you know, a bunch of cute little kids running around. One little guy is like, hey, I want to go to the bathroom. And he goes to the bathroom, and then I hear him in the bathroom. He's like, I'm done. I'm like, what does that mean? Well, he wanted me to go in and clean him up if you know what I mean and I'm like oh my word like I didn't sign up for this like I'm uncomfortable with this but I had to go in and help this kid in the bathroom and then I'd bring him back into the room and I'm just like this this is not for me but you know what I was prepared to serve in those lowly roles if I had to wipe kids bums Mm -hmm. I'd wipe kids bums Mm -hmm. if I had to set up chairs I'd set up chairs and that's where you're really tested when when you have to get into the trenches and do ministry and do the lowly work that builds your character. It may not be what the Lord has for you long-term. That's not what he had for me long-term thankfully, (laughs) but I'm thankful for that. I also was taught early on by my mentors, don't go into ministry because you quote unquote need it. Mm -hmm. Like it shouldn't be something, it shouldn't be your identity. My, I am a son of the living God. I am a Christian first and foremost. I don't have to be a pastor to feel good about myself. I don't have to be a preacher to feel good about myself. I don't have to be a public leader to feel good about myself. I don't need it. In fact, it comes with a lot of hassles, as you know. Mm-hmm. So when when you're sort of open handed about it instead of close fisted, it's so it's so much more freeing. So being, being content over time, if you're young and you're like, man, I'd really like to be a pastor tomorrow. Look, take your time, go into the nursery and serve sweep up in the hallway, mentor one person at a time, start to lead people to Christ, show up every week, shovel the uh, snow off the parking lot, um, greet people at the road, study, read, spend time with mature people, allow this process to unfold over time. The fact that we call people elders doesn't mean they have to be elderly, but it suggests some life experience, not a recent convert. Mm -hmm. So a lot of guys just need to slow down the process a little bit and be content to grow and serve and then look around and say, look, do I actually have a proven track record of leadership? Do people actually look to me for direction? So guys, if you turn around and no one's following you, let me just speak the truth to you in love. You're not a leader yet. You may never be a leader. But if you, if you turn around and no one's following you, you're not a leader, but if you turn around and people are looking to you, maybe the Lord has something like this in store for you.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the analogies given in scripture for pastoral ministry elder is that of a shepherd uh, and how a shepherd cares for his sheep. And so it's, you know, when you use that analogy, it's not just preaching that would come to mind. There's other aspects of it. Maybe you can speak to a little bit of what other aspects there are to pastoring. Ultimately, we're called to love the Lord our God with body, soul,
1: mind, and strength and love others as ourselves. So wh- I, I believe that pastors, first and foremost, must love people rather than loving preaching or loving being pastors. If we don't love people, we're not going to do well in ministry long term. It starts with a love for people, which flows necessarily and inevitably from a true love for God. So when we love God and we love the people that Jesus died for, and we have that heart for the city we're, we're burdened for the the lost the lost people in jerusalem as jesus was then that heart that shepherding heart is going to sustain us long term through ministry because you know as well as i do ministry is messy and people can be frustrated it people will learn to push every button you have and a whole lot more you didn't know you had and it can be irritating and it can be discouraging and at times you can feel like you're being used and abused or disrespected. You have to love people. Now loving people doesn't mean that you're a pushover. It doesn't mean that you have to be you know, Mr. Rogers' personality. My, my expression of love is probably different than some people's expression of love. I like to tease people, I like to joke around, I like to ask people a lot of questions, I like to spend time with people. I like to discuss theology, um, but I I genuinely love people. And that has sustained me through many dark periods in my life where I'm thinking to myself, should, should I even continue in this? Like maybe I should just go build houses or something, but loving God and loving people is what sustains us f- in my case for 29 years. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it will continue to sustain me. So. I know some fellows that it the vibe I get is well I love to preach. Okay, so you what do you mean by that? Like think about why do you love to preach? Well, I just I just love ideas and I love getting up front and maybe if they're honest, I I love it when people are paying attention to me and you know, I I love it when you know the room's fixated on my voice and that that is not the kind of love we're talking about here. It's not about loving preaching, it's about loving people. And if you love people, then you, you will you will love to preach as part of the way that you're going to express your love to help to equip them for the work of the ministry and to point them towards God. So if you're the kind of guy that just likes to hear yourself talk, or you just love preparing sermons, I don't know if you're going to survive very long. It, you have to go back to the basics. Do you love God and do you love uh, people?
0: Yeah. As I think about loving others, the call of Christ is to, when you take up your cross, is to deny, deny yourself. So, obviously, pastoral ministry can be f- fulfilling, but if our primary pursuit is to find fulfillment in it rather than to serve the Lord, serve others, then that gets things messed up. Yeah, right? and,
1: and that's, you know, Chris, it's so, man, that can be a really hard thing to determine. Like, why why do I do what I do? Is it feeding some sin in me? Is it the attention? Is it some sort of grandstanding? Why do I pastor God's people? What what is it about pastoring that pulls me in? We have to be re- relentless and ruthless in this regard. Some guys stay in it; they don't even want to be in it. It's like, well, this is what I've always done. That's where I get my paycheck from. Mm. Others are in it because they they're show offs so or they're prideful, and then by God's grace we have a lot of men that i mean none of us are perfect but mm-hmm. we have a lot of men that you know for the most part are well intentioned. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to circle back to this this idea of preaching. Like i i have i have huge respect for pastors that are very practical and you know love being with people and i have huge respect for pastors that are more scholarly that can Pretty much speak to any subject you could think of in in theology or church life. There's a broad variety of personalities that God uses in the scriptures. When we look at the apostles, it's clear that John's personality was very different than Peter's, and Peter's is very different than Paul. So the Lord uses personality to preach and minister to people, and, and we're fine with that. But I would just want to challenge those that. May enter into pastoral ministry because they're they're just bookworms. So there's you know, the Bible talks about su- some are apostles, some are prophets, some are teachers, some are you know evangelists, some are some are um, uh, pastors. There's a broad variety of gifts that God has used from the age of the early church till now to equip God's people for the work of the ministry. The apostles were fundamental in st- starting and establishing the church, and we have people that are great evangelists and missionaries, and others that are teachers, and they often plug into academies or seminaries or scholarly institutions, and then some are called to pastor God's people. And every pastor should should be scholarly to a degree. They, They need to rightly handle God's word. They need to be competent in biblical exegesis and in their systematic theology and so forth and so on. But if you're entering ministry because you just love, like, at the end of the day, I just love to spend 40, 50 hours a week reading and studying and preparing. Okay, great. You are probably gifted as one of the teachers that God has given to the church, but you might want to avoid pastoral ministry because pastoral ministry is preaching and teaching and it's scholarship, but it's more than that. It's overseeing. It's administering. A lot of guys— are good preachers, but they don't, they can't administrate their way out of a wet paper bag. And the churches suffer because there's no structure, there's no plan, there's no financial plan, there's no leadership plan, there's no integration plan, there's no discipleship plan. Well, one of the qualifications of eldership or the tasks of eldership is to administrate the affairs of the church. So administration is a necessary part of ministry. It's not something we need to be doing. All the, like with all of our time. There's other things to do, but just, I'm just using that as an example. So we need to bring the book, but we don't need to be bookworms. We need to bring the book to God, God's people. We need ample time to study and reflect. I remember when I planted this church 21 years ago. I Man, I hardly had time to prepare my sermons because I was doing so many different things. There was just I had my fingers in so many different uh, ministries of the church, and over time, I've been. You know, with competent men like yourself and others and elders and lots of people serving, I'm able to step back and focus a little bit more. But even now, I've thinking about this the last couple of weeks. I'm like, I feel like I don't have enough time in my day to study and prepare. Well, that's probably always going to be a bit of a tension because if I'm going to be a pastor, I'm not just a preacher. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage guys to become competent preachers. That's part of that's the, that's one of the things that people will Noticed right at the forefront. Like if you're just a lousy preacher, it's going to be pretty hard on your congregation. So you want to do well in that area. But there is more. There are other gifts that need to be developed behind the scenes or one-on-one that are pretty important.
0: Yeah, and maybe you could speak to that too in terms of other gifts, other things that people could do. Um, they might feel a call to vocational ministry, but not necessarily pastoral. What do, What are the other options? Like some people I've talked to, even in our own church, at times don't even know what the options are. Sure, yeah. And and obviously if you're in a, a very small
1: church context, which, which can be wonderful, a wonderful learning environment, there may be fewer vocational opportunities, that's fine. People should consider, you should almost ask yourself the question, like is there anything else that I could possibly do and still serve the Lord without going into vocational ministry? So we do need really quality lay elders. They're gonna have to work elsewhere engineering cars, building houses, plumbing in buildings, administrating insurance companies who can serve. Their primary focus is going to be on other vocation. We do need guys like that. But when you get into bigger church contexts or ministry settings, I mean there's lots of things. We have people that are full-time podcasters. We have Christian school teachers, Christian school school administrators. We have People that are serving full time in youth ministry, women's ministry, biblical counseling, church administration, church finances, small groups. There, there's there's lots of other potential areas for people to serve in. And what we have to do is shake off this very poisonous idea that it's like a a series of stepping stones. The ultimate goal is for me to be a lead pastor. If I don't, if I if I kind of Cap out at associate pastor or youth pastor, church ministries pastor, God forbid. That's where I'm going to kind of cap out. Well, maybe, maybe you are gifted in such a way that you will be an A plus youth minister and at best a D minus lead pastor, you know? Or so instead of having this weird idea that you're moving up some totem pole and, you know, the goal is to get, um, to become the top dog. How about you bloom where you're planted? And if God clearly opens other doors to the input of God's people over time, and for for instance, for me, I end up in a role I never I never even thought I would end up in, it's much more freeing and beneficial to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in our church, we have, um, you'd, know, you'd know better than me, but we have, um, how many people do we have on staff? Like 20? That's a good question. <laughs> 22 or 23 or something like yeah. that. Well, w- we're looking at these people, they're they're not all gunning to be lead pastors. That's right. In fact, I don't know really if any of them that are. But there may be two or three that over time over the years move into roles like that. That'd be cool. But our mindset is not, oh this is your this is your temporary assignment and then you're going to get a promotion. Mm-hmm. And then there's another temporary assignment and you're going to get a promotion. When I, I I will admit, Chris, that when I was um, uh, in other areas of ministry, there was a certain restlessness about me that I had—a kernel restlessness. I go, what's next, Lord? What do you got in store for me? What do you got in store for me? Now that that can be good, like being driven and and wanting to stretch yourself, but it also robbed me at times of the joy of serving. Right now, I was always looking around the bend, right, rather than joining the scenery. Beside me, on either yeah. side, it's like, what's around the next corner? You know, what's the next ministry opportunity? What's the next assignment? And it can be very exhausting. Mm-hmm. It can rob your joy, and it can actually hinder your fruitfulness. So, I would just encourage guys to be thinking about those issues. Is there, is there anything else I could do to serve the Lord? You know, if there is, maybe maybe I would be more
0: spiritually useful to the kingdom of God. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the body analogy given in Corinthians. It's if if you're not a great head, don't be a a hand, like a head, be a hand. Find where you're gifted. Again, that comes from others' input as well. Um, okay, one of the things I know we're big on uh, talking about in pastoral ministry and ministry in general is your work ethic. Yes. So what do you want to say about that? Well, it's it's a privilege to serve God's people in ministry.
1: We do not serve for the paycheck, but we are being paid. And we want to work as unto the Lord for God's glory, but we're also aware that people are supporting us. So I don't want to be the guy that's lazy, that's putting in too few hours, that's not diligent in my thought life and in my preparation. I'm not aiming for perfection, but I am aiming for excellence, which is sort of a balance. It's maximizing your gifts and your opportunities without being like shriveling up if you don't have absolute perfection as a result of the sermon or the, the ministry plan that you you uh, unfolded. Now, I, I would say in general, Chris, in ministry, what I've observed, and I think, if you don't mind me saying, I think you and I probably have mm-hmm. struggled with this a little bit together over the years, you and I would probably drift into workaholism mm-hmm. pretty quick if we're not careful, right? Yep. So you and I like to work. We like to work with our hands. We we like ministry. We, we're committed to that. And that can be a deficit. I remember times when we were building this church, I was putting in like 80 hours a week, and it, it wasn't healthy for my family. And I had to repent of that and 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 make some changes. I almost kind of hit a period of burnout in my late 30s where I felt like I was losing my mind. And I had to kind of step back and think, you know, I'm, I'm a human being. I'm flesh. I have to learn to enjoy life, and I, I need Sabbath time and all that sort of thing. So you you do have people in ministry that, frankly, need to probably dial it back a little bit. But then there's other people in ministry that, frankly, are lazy. Mm-hmm. You get guys going into ministry. You know, they're showing up at the church at ten o'clock. They're gone by three. They're two-hour lunches on the church's dime. They're buzzing off to get their hair cut. They're, you know, they're they're pumping iron at the gym. They're out for a run. They're just they're just not hardworking men. Some of them are downloading sermons, plagiarizing from other sources. This is wrong. We we should be people that are characterized by a strong work ethic. It's interesting. In Ephesians 4.12, it says that one of the ta- the tasks we have is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Mm-hmm. Ministry involves work. And if we're going to equip people to work, we better work. Now, alt- the ultimate goal is to build up the body of Christ. So... People, people are going to trust us more. People are going to invest in us in a greater way. People are going to benefit from our role modeling if we can find that, that family work ministry balance. So we want to be hardworking. I would say that if you're a younger man, you should be putting in more hours than older guys. The reality is, is that when you're in your 20s and 30s, you're stronger physically you often have fewer dependents as you get older you know you look at a guy that might be 75 80 he's probably not going to be putting in as many times as much time the his greatest benefit is going to be more in his spiritual maturity his experience his wisdom his walk with the lord so what we understand that that we don't go you know 60 miles an hour right through our 80s and then suddenly stop there there is there is a a natural progression in life where out of the gates, you want to run hard, you want to work hard, you want to build those skills, get that experience, preach those sermons, preach them again, get them evaluated, counsel people, work hard, plant those churches, administrate. And then once things are established and you're sort of in your stride, you can kind of breathe a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I remember when I was you know, most of my seminary degrees I did when I was working full time in a church. In fact, come to think of it all of my seminary degrees I did when I was working full- time in the church and we were having babies and stuff. And again, I probably overdid it. but it, it's I'll tell you this, it certainly taught me to work hard, mm-hmm. and I wasn't afraid to work. and and that has helped me during times in ministry where there's a lot happening. You kind of have that grit, mm-hmm. that perseverance. So I really encourage guys, don't go into ministry if you're lazy. But if you're a hard worker, it's it's really a wonderful, it can be really be a wonderful experience and a great example. Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the things you've imprinted on me and I know all the, the ministry staff here is the idea of especially pastors are called to equip the work saints for the work of the ministry. And so you want to be working alongside other people. This may be advice not for people thinking about becoming pastors, but just even for church leaders. If you have a, a pastor that burns out, is it because he wasn't equipping people And as you become a pastor, are you equipping other people to work alongside you and not just do it all yourself, right? Right, yeah.
1: You know when you're like a young doctor, right? A physician, they generally start off with um, kind of like general practitioners. You learn a bit of everything and then over time you become a specialist. It's kind of the same in ministry. Learn everything you can when you're young. Do a little bit of everything. And over time you can kind of specialize a little bit more and your your giftedness will be increasingly evident. But at the same time, never be the guy that won't stack chairs. Never be the guy that won't pick up a sledgehammer and knock a wall down in a building campaign. Of course, you and I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> but that that's not only just fun, but it's also a good example to others. I, I always want to be the guy that is out front trying to set an example leading and teaching but also i want to be with the people. Mm-hmm. like i want the guys of our church to know aaron's not afraid to get his hands dirty. you know, he's not afraid to help someone move, he's not afraid to knock a wall down, he's he's not afraid to cut the grass, he's not afraid to fix something. i'm not afraid to do that. i had my hand in one of the toilets here last week trying to tighten up the seat. so i don't mind doing that kind of stuff. now, the church shouldn't expect me to spend all my time doing that cuz then that's going to distract me from the other stuff. yeah that is my primary calling. But we we literally need to be prepared to get our hands dirty and, and kind of be a good example
0: to people in that regard.
1: It also shows that we honor their work, mm-hmm. right? It's not like, well, I just do preaching, you know, you can do all the other stuff. No, right. we honor their work.
0: Yeah, that's good. Okay, this next piece of advice you're going to give might strike some people a little differently. I know it the first time you talked to me about it, it did, but uh, about being socially well-adjusted. What would you say
1: to that? Well, part of ministry is ministering to a broad variety of people. We are to equip God's people for the work of the ministry. And you look at your congregation, there's a lot of different personalities there. So regardless of how we were raised or what our natural bent is, we have to work really hard as pastors to try to relate to and understand and get along with as many people as we can. And... You know, it's 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 a biblical concept. You know, in in First Corinthians nine, Paul talked about you know to the weak I become weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. Now I know he's talking there about Christian liberties, not being a stumbling block, but there's a principle there of adaptation. Are we adaptable? So if I'm interacting in with an a an immigrant, am I? Am I attuned to the unique challenges that that person's experiencing, and can I kind of minister them in light of their circumstances? If I'm ministering to a single adult that's gone through a divorce, or a professional couple, or a tradesperson, or a young person, or a person from a different culture, like am I? Can I adapt a person with a strong sense of humor, or a person that's really serious? Mm-hmm. A person that has trouble speaking or a person that's very verbal. Can I, can I adapt to the situation? And unfortunately, I think a lot of pastors are a little bit socially awkward. They are uncomfortable in their own skin and uncomfortable around people. And I think we have, again, everyone's different. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But if you're a socially awkward person, that's something you need to bring to the Lord and try to work on. So there's there's two sorts of socially awkward people. There's there's the people that they're always got to be cool, right? I find people that want to be uber cool to actually be socially awkward. They're the kind of people that sort of overdress for every occasion, they they um in a humorous conversation, they like they they talk down to people or they laugh down to people. They, they're they generally known on social media for those pastoral action shots. Mm. <laughs> you know, like one of the things I find repulsive is the, the past, sorry guys, a pet peeve here, pastoral action shots. Finger in the mouth makes me gag. Where the guy sort of, in his profile picture, he's picking his picture and it's him like right in the middle of a, you know, a hot point in a sermon and he's got his his microphone on and his pulpit there and his Bible and there's all these people just leaning in, like gasping for the next nugget of truth. Guys, that's gross. Or if you got one of those pictures where you're, you know, you got your tight shirt on, you're flexing, you got your tats and you got Bible verses tatted up and down your arm and you got your Bible, you're kind of a weirdo. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that, but you're, that's socially awkward. You might think it's cool, but people are actually embarrassed for you. And you just need to be told that. So you got that side, the kind of the extreme, the guy that just kind of looks for attention. He always wants to be cool. He's not really comfortable in his own skin, but he pretends he is, but he's really not. And on the other side, you got the guy that's like uber nerdy, you know, but it's old fashioned. He's always like 20 years outdated in terms of what he's wearing and it might be a, kind of socially unaware of what's going on around him and the cultural issues you are experiencing. Now, of course, there's no such thing as the center ground. It's not like there's one stereotype for social balance that somehow we all need to aspire to. But within our cultural context, the bottom line is if you can't, interact with and get along with and minister to and have a conversation with the vast majority of people you probably need to make some adjustments so let's just say this let's say you have a hundred people and you, you 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 line them up okay there may be 10 people on either end that are hard for you to relate to mm-hmm. you know those extra grace required people on one end who are just very difficult, very broken, you know, you, you try to spend time with them, but it's really hard. And then you got people on the other end that maybe are aloof or distance. Okay, fine. There's always going to be people that are hard to relate to, but that the 80 people in the middle, mm-hmm. for the most part, you should be able to interact with them well. Mm-hmm. So, learning to having people over to your house that aren't like you will will help you to socially adjust. Asking people like the way I'm dressed, the way. I do my hair, my hygiene, the way I communicate with people. Is it is it kind of off-putting? Like why is it the pastors are are uncomfortable getting input in this regard? Like if I if I was a socially awkward dude, I would want people to tell me that. And over time we are always there's always uh, elements of social awkwardness in us that we are adjusting along the way. I remember when I showed up for for grade 9 I was wearing some shirt that you know, and some kid made fun of me for my shirt. People might, oh, that's bullying. I don't like my kids being bullied. Well, yeah, it kind of hurt, but in hindsight, it kind of helped me in terms of the area of dress. Like the, you don't just wear anything you want to any occasion. You, you sort of have to dress for the occasion. Yeah. And so I would just encourage people to um, surround themselves with, you know, the, the 80% in the middle. Make sure that you are, you know, learning to deal with the, the fringes on the, the outside. Asking for input, like asking people, is there anything about the way I present myself that's off-putting? Is there anything about the way that I dress that is kind of a distraction? You know, do I do I look like I'm I'm trying to be cool, uh, or do I look like some guy that just stepped out of you know Puritan England? Like, yeah. am I am I am I being all things to all people? Because the reality is this: I don't care if you like this or not. People come to church, especially new people. A lot of evangelism takes place at church as new people show up, unbelievers show up. They look around and it's like, can I relate to this guy on the stage? Can I relate to this guy that's running the youth group? And it's just like man he he looks like he's out of a, off a different planet. You are actually hindering the opportunities you have to preach the gospel to that person and mentor him. but if they feel hey there's I, he's not like me, but there's there's some points of connection. like he, he seems to be a real authentic person that will only benefit you. And only benefit others. Mm-hmm. So, kind of aim for that middle ground, and make sure that you're open to input. So, there's not, there's not, there. And this isn't a sin issue, okay? But there, there aren't. This is just wisdom. There aren't aspects of your personality that are actually hindering you from ministering uh, more fully to a broader cross section of people.
0: That's yeah, that's really good. It's kind of like where you are. You're not the feature. You're, you're not the distraction from what you're about right? Either too cool or too awkward. That's a really good way of putting it. Not the feature, not the distraction.
1: Mm-hmm. Why aren't you doing this podcast? No, okay. Hey, hey, because I'm not really the feature good, or the distraction. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. I like that.
0: Um, okay. Final piece of advice that you would give to someone considering, am I into, uh, for pastoral ministry?
1: Find a good mentor or mentors. Associate with people who are doing it well. Look to people that you feel are balanced. You're never going to find the perfect mentor. But associate yourself with pastors and leaders who are doing it well. If mm-hmm. that means you' got to move to get the experience you need, move. If that means you need to um, you know, re- relocate or switch churches because you just want to sit under the leadership of someone who is doing it well, then do that. So it's really, really important. Look for people that have those four C's. They have character. They have competency. Someone with whom you have chemistry and someone who has high capacity. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that are going to bless you and enrich you and help you to go to the next level. Look for someone with a track record. If you're 23, you don't look for a mentor that's 24. You know, Look for someone that's a generation or two above you. And then I also think, because we're never going to fully glean everything we need from one person, surrounding yourself with a multitude of counselors, mm-hmm. uh, lay elders, um lay servants in the life of the church professors you know scholars practitioners podcasters expanding your circle of influence will 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 only benefit you and obviously you want to find someone who's theologically sound so that's the mind mm-hmm. but you also want to have find someone that is wise and wisdom is really the proper application of knowledge so find someone that has some life experience that knows how to, depending on the area of ministry you're going into, knows how to lead young people or knows how to run small groups or knows how to counsel or knows how to preach or whatever it might be. Associating yourself with wise people is really important. The time will come uh, soon enough when, as you age, you're going to be the papa bear or the mama bear in the room. And that is... That happens quicker than you probably think where people now are looking to you. but if you're starting off and you're young in ministry, don't go it alone. Uh, look for input, look for guidance and uh, look for good mentors. Uh, Paul, Timothy, and Titus had Paul. Many men spoken to my life over the years. I'm grateful for them, professors and pastors and colleagues. and uh, it's just it's just a huge blessing. And by the way, you can learn, from both good examples and bad examples, mm-hmm. so you don't you don't have to look for Mister Perfect. You can spend time with someone, and you're like, you know, I I learned these nine things from them. I mean, they just really did it well. But there's this one area, man, I would never do that. So you can learn from both the positive examples and negative examples. So I want to see a lot of young people consider vocational ministry. We need quality people um, entering vocational service. That, you know, we we. Especially right now, there's a lot of churches out there that are starting up that are just desperate for pastoral leadership, and they just can't find people who are prepared to stand for the lordship of Christ. One final thought. I'm, um, I'm a fan of seminary and Bible college. I, I think it's important to get some formal training. But at the same time, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's expensive. I, I do not recommend people go into debt for their theological education, and some people are already working. They have families and they feel called into ministry. So they, they want to maybe consider some online stuff. Uh, or they may be in a state or a province where the schools are woke or liberal and there's just not a lot of options for them. So one good thing for people to consider is there's a lot of correspondence and, and distance learning options available these days. But don't do that by itself. Make sure that you are plugged into a healthy church. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to pursue more of a distance education form of ministry, that's fine. You are going to lose out on some of the classroom interaction and the campus life, which can be very formative. But if that's your circumstance, that's fine. You can really benefit from studying and learning and growing. It it is expensive. There's going to be an investment to be made, but don't just do the academic stuff. Make sure you are serving in your church, you're being mentored, you're demonstrating your gifts and you're getting a lot of feedback from people in the process and then be patient and just allow God to open doors as he sees fit. He may have at the the end of the day, a plan or ministry for you that is not even on your radar right now.
0: So be open to that and let God just guide you along the path. Mm-hmm. One other thing I was just thinking, as you mentioned some of those conferences are a really useful tool. Um, and I know you're speaking at an upcoming conference for the Ezra Institute. Uh, where is that now?
1: That one's down in the in the Grimsby area at the Rathfon Inn. Uh, that's a, a colloquium. You can find it about that on the Ezra Institute. I think there's still some spots. It's a, a small, more intimate conference, and um, it's going to be good. And then we we like to promote the uh, Church at War conference at in um, at, at Trinity. In, uh, in in November. And then we also have a Mission of God conference with the Ezra Institute at our church in Windsor, Ontario, which is right across the river from Detroit, Michigan, on the 10th of December.
0: Yeah, so, so lots of great opportunities to yeah. connect and that's where some really good networking can happen as well. So, well, thank you, Aaron, for that advice. And to our listeners, reminder that you can find this podcast both on the CJXC radio, Canada's Constant Christian Companion, as well as the Fight, Laugh, Feast network download their app and you can download this podcast as well as those of the Ezra Institute, the Rebel Network, a whole bunch of great other podcasts from people both on this side of the border as well as our brothers and sisters down in the States. And uh, make sure to tune in next week for another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.